Hello and welcome to Praying with Passion, a podcast dedicated to the power of prayer in our lives. I'm your host, Albert McKaig, and today our study continues with the fundamentals of prayer. There are certain basic building blocks of effective prayer that I call fundamentals of prayer. In the last session, we studied the first fundamental of prayer, that being faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, that being God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. As I said before, faith is a gift to us from God, yet we gain faith only when we actively look for it. We cannot be passive about our faith. It won't just automatically come to us. We must develop the faith that has been given to us through our salvation. If you missed the introductory podcast and the second podcast on the fundamentals of prayer, I encourage you to go back and listen to those now before we move on with our examination. As I've mentioned, I'm using a building block approach in this study, and it will be helpful to see what has been taught before to help understand the next session. If you don't have the book, Praying with Passion, Grounded in Obedience, check out my website at prayingwithpassion.com for a link to get the book from amazon.com, either in digital or bound formats. The book will help you get more depth out of our studies. In the last episode of this podcast and in the book, I used a phrase that seems to resonate with a lot of folks. I said that faith isn't voodoo. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the first building block we studied in the fundamentals of prayer. The next building block, our fundamental of prayer we will study, is love. There are three aspects of love I want to talk about. There's God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for others. It's clear enough to most Christians that God truly does love us. After all, we've accepted by faith that through love, God gave His only Son as a sacrifice for us. And God's love is absolute. It is not conditional in any way. There is nothing we can do to earn more of God's love than He already gives us. I think it's when we consider a love for others that we get confused with a lack of understanding of the word love as used here. There is one kind of love for our family. For instance, I love my wife and I love my children. But do I truly love others? And is that the same kind of love? We confuse love for others with our physical feelings and our emotional ties and even our selfish or self-centered desires. I know there are theological works out there that deal with the three kinds of love that are covered in Scripture, but that study is not the purpose of this book, and I don't want to get into that here. But as we love people, even those very close to us, there is almost always some conditional feeling associated with that love. By that, there's often some kind of emotional trade-off. And very often we ask, what's in it for me? What about this relationship will benefit me? Loyalty, for example, is a trade-off in a relationship and a very strong part of our human emotional attachments. We care for our loved ones as they care for us through loyalty, and that loyalty can be damaged by callous or unthinking actions or even intentionally doing or saying something wrong or hurtful. But for those we truly love, we're most often very willing to be forgiving of those faults. There's a maturity to that love that often takes time to develop. As great a love as we may have for our children, our spouse, or our parents, God's love for us is in fact greater. It is without time and is instant. There are no conditions of time, distance, trust, loyalty, obedience, or anything else to God's love. There is only God's love. Because when we ask, what's in it for me? The answer is, God is in it for you. 
That's important because we need to understand that we don't have to earn God's love. Simply put, He loves us. Remember that I said that each of the three fundamentals of prayer is authored by or sponsored by one of the elements of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we studied in the last session, God the Father is the author of our faith. Jesus, on the other hand, is the source of God's love for us. As Jesus, the Son of God, He gave everything He had for us to save us. The love of God through His Son Jesus is unconditional and complete. I would love to say, and there's that word again, but I would love to say that my love for Jesus is as great as His love for me, but that would not be true. In a perfect world, I would enjoy the company of Jesus and spend time with Him, read about Him, and talk to Him through the avenue of prayer. Jesus would be my life. While most of us never attain that level of love for God, that depth should be our goal and objective in life. 1 John 4.19 says it best, Truly, we love because He first loved us. It is a matter of having a heart for God. But in looking at love from a biblical perspective, we also have to deal with our love for one another. To me, this is so very hard because I admit there are some people I just don't like. I think that's true of all of us. For instance, I see people in my court every day that I don't want to be best friends with. When you look at your own life, there may be a person or a group of people in your life that is the source of the conflict and adversity, the hurt, or the stress that you're feeling all of the time. Maybe there are people you actually care about or love, but who are toxic to you and take a lot of patience to be around. It's hard to love those people sometimes, as we should. And as we look at this issue of love, remember that many of the teachings of Jesus dealt with the love we're to have for others. We're often caught up in this issue of how we define love, but keep in mind that love and like are not synonymous. They don't mean the same thing, especially in Scripture. We may never love the unlovable in the same way we love our children or our spouses. We may never love the lost in the way we love God in His perfection. However, we must come to realize that God loves the unlovable people of the world just as much as He loves you and me. He loves them in a way only God can love them, unconditionally and without reservation. God loves each and every one of us, and that means you. No matter what you've done and no matter how much you think you've failed, God loves you. God in His perfect will wants the best and highest for you and each and every person, regardless of how we may act, whatever our place in life, whatever our religion, whether we're dedicated sinners or the purest of saints. That perfect will of God through His love for us is that we all should be saved. And because of His perfect will, God expects us as born-again believers to want the best and highest for every person we come into contact with, too. God wants us to pray for their salvation, be concerned for their well-being, and treat them with courtesy and respect. God expects us to meet the needs of the needy even when they smell, do drugs, engage in terrible conduct, and do things that we don't want to see or hear about. God expects us to give of our time, our resources, our patience, and our energy to see that each person we come into close encounters with comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and not just wring our hands and wish for it. It is what is in our hearts. Through Christ-like love, we must learn to get over our disdain and arrogance toward others, even those who are in open sinful lifestyles. In the same way that Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in adultery, we're not to condemn those caught up in a sinful lifestyle either. 
We're certainly not called to embrace those lifestyles or the conduct that is sinful and often criminal. Jesus did not embrace the adulterous woman's actions, only her soul as he told her to go and sin no more. We are called to love people in a godly way in that we care about their eternal salvation and we're to hope for the best and the highest for their lives. That includes criminals, the sexually immoral, the illegal immigrants, Muslims, and every kind of person you can think of. Knowledge of the Bible on ice will not take the place of our heart passionately on fire for God through the love of Jesus Christ that we show to others. It is all about what is in our hearts. I am convinced that we will not be inside God's will for ourselves or for His church until we know, understand, and follow the greatest commandment from Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And that, my friends, is so very hard to do. But when we do learn to care about the eternal salvation of other people, to pray for other people, and to pray for ourselves about how we treat them, that then becomes praying with passion. The third fundamental I want to look at today is forgiveness. In my observations, we Christians get a lot of things right in our prayer life, but I think one area in which we often fall short is in forgiveness. In the model prayer, or Lord's Prayer, we can see how Jesus emphasized forgiveness. In looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13, this is what we see. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That doesn't refer to our financial debts, but to our spiritual debts, our moral debts, and our emotional debts to God. As we look at forgiveness, I think most of us know to confess our sins and ask for God's forgiveness. But not only have we sinned against God, we've also sinned against other people. This is one area we often don't think about. When we do something or say something harmful to other people or talk about other people, we are literally sinning against them and against God. Sometime this week or even today, as you enter your time of prayer, give God some quiet time and ask Him to remind you of those people you've wronged at some time in the past. Included are people you've talked about behind their backs, people you've spread rumors about, people you've made fun of to others, people you may have looked down on, people of another race, another religion, or no religion, people who aren't as smart as you, or as pretty as you, or as strong as you, people who are different from you in some way. I assure you there will be plenty of names coming to your mind the first few times you do this. Frankly, when I did this, I was almost overwhelmed at the number of people I owed a debt of forgiveness to, and I suspect the same thing will happen with you. Given enough time through prayer, God will work you back day by day, year by year, person by person, to get rid of the junk in your life. I know I've accumulated a lot of junk in my life, and I'm sure that I'm not alone in this. There are all kinds of sins out there that affect all of us, and sins against others is one major category. 
But also this kind of person-on-person sin includes divisiveness within the body of believers as we conspire to gain our way first above others in our churches and ministry groups. Sin also includes a bitter attitude in complaining about the actions or attitudes of others. Sin is not just our actions, but our hearts. And almost all sin is directed at or against other people by what we say, think, or do. Sin is sin, so ask God to help you fight that sin by removing the temptation and desire for it. Ultimately, we have to get ourselves right with God, and one way we do that is through His forgiveness of our sins, and another is through acknowledging our sins against others. But in getting right with God, we must also forgive others. From what I've read in the Bible and what I know from experience, one of the greatest hindrances to receiving affirmative answers to our prayers and blessings in our lives is our own unforgiving hearts as we hold grudges against others and fail to forgive them for their trespasses against us. Does this phrase sound familiar to you? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? We often just mumble through that part of the Lord's Prayer, but it's there for a reason. Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, finishes the statement by Jesus as he was describing the Lord's Prayer. It says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's that's strong. That is really strong stuff right there. The host of this fundamental of forgiveness is the Holy Spirit. It is virtually impossible to forgive within our own human powers. Only through the infinite power of the Holy Spirit will we be able to truly forgive others who have wronged us or hurt us in some way. I see hurt every day in my court. I see people facing adversity every day. I see victims of serious, horrible crimes every week. I've seen victims of unspeakable horror and crime as they try to deal with the hurt. And I can see how devastating it is to them to keep holding on to that hurt. That lingering grasp on the pain seems to define so many victims and continue to work against them. That may be true for you as well. There may be some pain or hurt, some betrayal in your past that is so horrible, so gut-wrenching, that it seems to consume your thoughts every day. Somehow, no matter how badly you've been hurt, I encourage you to let go of that hurt. I know that is so very hard to do. I've been hurt too, and there are a couple of stories in the book about how devastating that can be. So I get it. For me, letting go was a process. It took time but it was far from instant. But for every hurt, every insult, every harm that has ever happened to you, pray specifically that you forgive that person. Pray in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit to surrender all claims you have against that person for hurt, for anger, for punishment, for revenge, or anything else other than a claim of forgiveness. Whether that is a parent, a child, a sibling, a co-worker, an ex, Whomever it is, forgive them and let it go. I didn't say forget about what was done. I don't think that's really possible. But give that hurt over to God to handle. And don't just keep dwelling on it and wringing your hands over it and thinking about it and bringing it to your mind over and over again. Set it aside. And by doing that, eventually the pain and hurt will subside and won't be at the top of your mind all the time. It will fade. And here's another hard part of forgiveness. You have to forgive yourself and get over mistakes you've made too. I see so many people who cannot or will not get past their past. 
You have to do that in order to move on. If God no longer condemns you for your wrong, for your sins, who are you to not forgive yourself? Put those mistakes behind you. Yes, learn from them, but rely on God's forgiveness because it's very real. And again, in time, those bad actions and mistakes will fade. Ultimately, on this issue of forgiveness, we must ask God for forgiveness of our sins against Him. We must also ask God for forgiveness for our sins against others. We must then forgive others of their trespasses and sins against us. And the fourth part, an important part, you have to forgive yourself. Other than prayer itself, forgiving others for what they've done to us and seeking forgiveness for all the things we've done to others is essential in developing a meaningful and fulfilling prayer life. And that meaningful prayer life will help you overcome the adversities you face in your life. It will give you spiritual power to overcome Satan and his attacks. It will give you power to move spiritual mountains, and it will allow blessings to flow down on you from God. Remember, prayer is based on a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. An unresolved sin creates an obstacle to having a good relationship with God. Having a good relationship with God through forgiveness will then allow us to pray with passion. You've heard me use that phrase, praying with passion, and it's part of the book title. Praying with passion means having an intense, real relationship with God that is manifested through our own physical, emotional, and spiritual sense of that reality. It means a conversation with God in which we truly know in our hearts that He hears us. And when He hears us, you know He will help us. Our passion for fellowship with God is visible, even tangible, as we communicate with God in such a way that we move closer to God in all parts of our lives. We can only have that relationship with God through prayer. When we are right with God, when through faith, love, and forgiveness, and when we have humbled ourselves before the Lord and we are able to approach God with a proper, humble attitude, our prayer life will cause God's blessings to pour out on us in ways we cannot otherwise imagine. I am convinced that prayer unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit and enables God to work in the lives of His people. As James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When we fully embrace the fundamentals of faith, love, and forgiveness through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then our prayer can be that prayer of a righteous person, powerful and effective as it is working. And through that power, we will be well-trained, ready, and armed in the war Satan has waged against us. And we will know there is a power great enough to turn the tide of evil I talked about at the beginning of this session. There is a power greater than the sins of our culture, greater than the chaos, greater than the crime and brutality that surrounds us. There is a power greater than the adversity we face. There is a power great enough to defeat Satan and his evil minions. That power is the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There is no one like him. There is no love greater than his. There is no demon who can defeat him. There is no sins he has not overcome. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to make that decision today to know Him in that way. Contact me through the comments section on my website and I will help you with that decision. Or call on a good Christian friend you know as a true and dedicated believer. I'm sure he or she will help you on your journey. As a suggested reading for you, read chapters 3 and 4 of the book, 
praying with passion, grounded in obedience. That will help you next time when we begin our study on the mechanics of prayer. That sounds odd, the mechanics of prayer, but there truly are methods and procedures for engaging in effective prayer. And next time we will start our study on that process. Be sure to share this episode with your friends so that the teaching of God's Word will continue to spread. And follow me on your favorite podcast platform. Until then, God bless you and keep you, and may His face shine upon you and give you peace. Mm-hmm.